Um, and he said, oh, so you like the traveling entrepreneur? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I am. He's like, oh, you like the suitcase entrepreneur? And I was like, oh. That's it. Like, you know, when you just have one of those defining moments where we just both looked at each other and he's like, you need to buy that domain. And I was like, thank you. We stand today. This is Method with method. a shout The Business Method. The Business Method Podcast. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring high-performing entrepreneurs and high-caliber people dissecting their different methods, tools, and strategies so we can apply them to our businesses and lives. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built seven-figure businesses that can be ran anywhere in the world. And currently, we are interviewing 100 major influencers to get behind the minds and the science of using influence to grow business, affect income, results, economies, and cultures, especially post-COVID. Since we moved into a post-pandemic world, the landscape has changed drastically for most business owners. We're finding out what is working for the entrepreneurs out there that have positioned themselves well to make sure their businesses thrive, succeed, and continue to experience growth in this current economy. And now... Let's hop into today's show. The Business Method. Welcome, Natalie, to the podcast. How are you today? I am fantastic. Thanks for joining us. And you're calling in from New Zealand? Wellington, New Zealand. Sunny capital. Sunny capital. Very nice. So we want to jump into getting to know you as an entrepreneur, Natalie, and I would like you to tell the listeners kind of your story and how you became the entrepreneur that you are today. Oh, where do we want to start? <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, basically I became an entrepreneur when I got sick of the nine to five, which was back in 2008 in a, in a brilliant job on paper, but just terrible in reality. And I was in London, England, and just realized that the type of job that I'd been set up with was, was giving me no freedom, no autonomy, no chance to make a difference in people's worlds, was super bureaucratic, um, just super unfulfilling. And it was the first time in my life when I woke up and didn't want to go to work. So I'm thankful to the, the to this day, actually, that that job and probably some of the ones leading up to it, which were really, really good for learning experience, but I'm thankful that it forced me into going, no, I just need to do my own thing. So uh, luckily, I managed to do that about five or six months later. Uh, after playing some World Championship Ultimate Frisbee, I moved to Vancouver, Canada and literally just went, okay, I want to start my own business. So I need to network. I went to every meetup event, every networking event. And essentially just started talking to people and stumbled across my co-founder of a tech company who basically needed the skills that I had, which were in marketing, brand development, business development. Um, and he said, hey, let's start this company together and see what happens. So I'm really lucky in that respect as well, because it was a deep dive into the entrepreneurial you know, swimming pool, but with somebody who had started and sold a company before. So sort of learning as I went. Um, figuring out the financial model, figuring out how to get customers with zero budget, uh, raising finances, which I'd never done before, just every single aspect of a business, brilliant deep dive, which led me to starting my blog to talk about it because I'm probably a bit like you. Um, when you're experiencing something at such a pace, you, I prefer to talk about it and share it and write about it because it's quite cathartic and it helps you better 
experience it and understand it. And that little blog called, at the time, Women's World, because it was mainly for female entrepreneurs at the time, and how did they feel being CEOs or CTOs or CFOs of their companies, um, is now today the suitcase entrepreneur and my entire business. I'm honest with you. It's turned into a seven-year journey of building an online education company, content company, um, and a business that's allowed me to travel the world full-time and uh, live and work anywhere. It's incredible. When did your blog change from Woman's World to the Suitcase Entrepreneur? And can you talk about that transition? Yeah, it changed in late 2010. And I remember buying the domain in November of that year because I was every single event that I went to uh, where I was trying to meet, you know, more community and network with entrepreneurs, they'd always say, you know, like, where are you from? What do you do? And where do you live? And every single time, you know, I'd be like, I am Natalie Sisson. I'm initially from New Zealand. You know, I teach people how to create freedom and business and adventure in life. And I live out of my suitcase. And people were like, what? Like, you know, they're just expecting I live in Minnesota or I live in, you know, London or whatever it may be. And I just, I realized that people were just really curious about that part in particular. Like, how do you not live anywhere? How do you not have a home? And I was talking to one guy at this event um, and he said, oh, so you're like the traveling entrepreneur. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I am. He's like, oh, you're like the suitcase entrepreneur. And I was like, oh, that's it. Like, you know, when you just have one of those defining moments where we just both looked at each other and he's like, you need to buy that domain. And I was like, thank you. And I raced <laughs> off to do it that evening, actually, after the event and it was available. And it just helped, it helped so much flip my perspective on what I really was doing. And it narrowed my niche and it narrowed my target market. And it made me appreciate that fundamentally I was helping people to be able to take their business on the road, um, be more productive, which I know you love doing, create better systems, create better sales funnels, use tools more efficiently so that you're not having to be based in one place. Or if you are based in one place, that you have the ultimate sort of freedom to work your own hours and do what you want when you want. So it was a pretty pivotal point for me. Didn't mean it just started to get easy from there, but it certainly helped me better understand my defining my market and who I was actually trying to help. How long did it take you to get that blog up and going? I know you had an audience with Woman's World, and I'm guessing it kind of transitioned over. And then when you turned it into the suitcase entrepreneur, how long did it really kind of take to get some good solid momentum for you? Well, I think it's like a work in progress that's still going. But <laughs> I would say the first two years and the first six months were just all hustle and all about community building. I didn't even have an email list on my blog. I had zero products for sale. I was literally going through my tiny bit of savings really quickly in Vancouver because it's not a cheap city to live in. Um, I had to do one round of consulting or client work uh, just to sort of get me through to be able to pay the rent, which was pretty scary. And then um, from there, I, yeah, I'd say a good six months to a year to really get traction. And then I put out my first product in sort of early 2011, which was um, actually an entrepreneurial toolkit. And it wasn't my exact first product, I must admit. I ran some social media workshops back in Vancouver, and that was like the spark for me. That was when I realized that I could help entrepreneurs understand how to use social media to grow their businesses. And I did that as three live workshops, like physical workshops that were a sellout. And then I turned that exact workshop into an online program. So that was my first kind of foray into earning money online, which is super exciting when you get your first dollar online. It was really amazing. Uh, and then I just from there kind of kept going. But all of this was driven from my blog. 
um, and just each time sort of understanding what people were responding to and reacting to. And I feel like the, I don't know, I could be wrong, but I feel like the blogging world's changed so much. And that was only, what are we talking about, six years ago? But I feel like, you know, people used to comment and hang around and share like crazy and have more time to consume and read. And maybe I'm a little jaded on that front, but I feel like these days everything's just more instant and it's short and it's concise and little snippets and videos and brief um, and then really drawing people across to read your longer form content and the super valuable stuff. So I feel I feel it's changed a lot. Back then it was all about building community and I think it still should be, um, but it took a lot longer than I thought. What were some of the most effective ways that you found to build that audience and to build that community? I think I've seen you on Forbes and Business Insider. Did you use those as a strategy to grow that audience? Yeah, I mean, I seriously think I was a full-time 10 to sort of 12 hours a day junkie on just doing whatever I could, if I really think back to it. So I'd, I yeah, I, I somehow managed to get writing for Forbes. They they asked one Christmas time, hey, write about how you're going to handle going into the holiday season and not be stressed. And I wrote on my blog and then they picked it up and included it. And then they emailed me one day saying, would you like to be a Forbes contributor? And I was like, uh, yes, please. <laughs> so there was that and just really – uh, reaching out for guest post opportunities, reaching out to media, and really just going for it and writing a lot of epic content at that time. So I was writing for my blog, and I was writing for other platforms as well, and it was it just felt sort of like a full-time job. But when you're hungry for it and you're hustling and you have a lot to write about um, and you have a lot of thoughts and a lot of things you're going through, it. I just look back at those days, and I was just hungry. I was hungry. I was excited. I was new. I was learning. I had some talents and skills that I managed to combine and just just worked it. And I really look at myself now and I'm so much more focused on, you know, serving my community and not actually focused on more of an external audience. And I think this year is all about more growth and reaching out to a bigger audience again. So sort of almost going back through that stage. Because I do think you have to do it in stages. I don't know if it's something that you can actually keep consistently doing full time. One of the best pieces of feedback I get is that I look like a content creation machine, but I think I've just done a really good job of of bulk scheduling, understanding my editorial calendar, um, and really getting organized in advance and doing a lot of the work in one hit and then spinning that content out to last a long time. Um, but yeah, I just think you have to go through phases and otherwise you could easily get burnt out. Now, you mentioned Natalie being hungry, and I'm curious, what was the passion behind that hunger? What was the vision that you were shooting for back in those days that kept you motivated? Well, I have a mission since I started, which was to help 100,000 entrepreneurs create freedom in business and adventure in life, and that's now 1 million. And I think once you you put a big goal or a big mission out there like that, it, it just on those days when you're feeling a bit hum-ho or less motivated, I come back to that and I really look at it and I'm like, no, this is what I'm here on this earth to do in, in whatever form that comes from. So I think that has been the staying power for me throughout it all. And also I'm just genuinely curious about, about life. Um, I like challenging myself and I like giving a lot. Um, and I, I've seen it come back in droves. So that's pretty motivating in itself. Natalie, I'm, sh I'm sure there's some listeners out there that are curious about if they're writing content and creating content themselves, how they can get it on platforms like Forbes or Business Insider. So do you have any suggestions for the audience on maybe how you got on those platforms and how other people can reach out, try to get on those platforms as well? 
Yeah, I mean, it's actually just a matter of pitching and pitching well. Um, so <laughs> I think one thing that I see people do is just not go for it. They think something might be too big or too scary or, of course, they're going to get a no. And I've found over the years when people have pitched me as well, it's all about the angle that you take. So, you know, really catchy email subject line, um, a absolute no-brainer for them not to accept your work. Like here I've written these three articles they're all SEO friendly. They speak directly to these topics that I know that you've been featuring recently. I know your audience likes X. I know they're interested in Y. And I think this article speaks to that. Oh, by the way, here are some other places I've been featured, even if they're only small, but any other media that you've had, any other press, any place that you can show that you've written for before is really, really useful. Um, and then just persistence in following them up. A lot of people will just take a no response as a no, but often, you know, somebody didn't get the email or it didn't go to the right person or they saw it and they just, you know, didn't prioritize it or it slipped into a filter. So for me, it's just been a really well-crafted pitch to say, here's why, you know, I should write for you or here's why this is going to be really, really valuable, uh, followed up with absolutely no reason to say no. And if they do say no for whatever reason two or three times, you can definitely say then, well, where else do you think this would fit in or do you know of anybody else that would be, you know, find this article or this content really useful? So it's just about making opportunities of it. If you if you really want it enough and if you know it's going to work for you, it's all about persistence and commitment. I like it. Now you have a TED Talk and I just recently watched it and it's really good. I would like to ask you too, maybe some suggestions or tips because I know there's a lot of entrepreneurs that would love to have a TED Talk on how you got featured on TED. Yeah, that was kind of a funny story as well. So I put that in my painted picture, which is something that I do every couple of years. It's a three-year vision for your life and business um, of where you want to be, but mm -hmm. said and, and written in the present tense. So it's like you, you lunge forward three years and think, well, where do I want to be? Do I want to have a best-selling book? Do I want to be speaking on stage at TED? And so I'd actually put that into my painted picture in... Um, January 1st, 2011, I believe it was. And then I actually, on my podcast, I read out my painted picture. So I said, you know, here's an example of, of what I use in the Freedom Plan with all my members. This is how we kind of plan ahead and really envision what we want for life and business. Because if you don't know where you're going, you're never going to get there. And one of my friends in the UK picked, well, listened to it. And she said, hey, Natalie, I hear that you know, you were putting it out there that you really want to speak at TEDx. I've spoken at two before um, and I, I have some good contacts so I could always put you in touch with them. But they're over here in the UK. And I was like, I don't care anything. That's great. <laughs> so um, she she literally emailed the next day, which was great of her and just said, you know, here's the person that I think you could talk to. And, and here's other ways, you know, you can go to the sites and you can message the people directly but I'd done quite a lot of that and I just found it was really unuseful nobody had actually ever gotten back to me I'd also tried Twitter I tried LinkedIn and so I think you know having that personal connection or a recommendation or somebody who's spoken somewhere before who can introduce you to somebody who can introduce you to somebody mm. is always a really great way of doing it and <laughs> so she introduced me to the guy Dan at Royal Tunbridge Wells and ironically he's like oh I met Natalie in 2009 uh, I think it was, or 2010 in Malaysia at a conference where I was blogging um, for the sort of tech conference. And he's like, yeah, I remember her. We ended up having a drink and having a chat. So that really helped as well. And they just really loved how my um, potential for a talk around freedom, ironically, 
fitted into their particular theme for that year. So then we jumped on a phone call and then I had another phone call where they kind of, you know, ran through it more and then they said, yep, we'd really, you know, they had they had hundreds and hundreds of applications. Um, so I was really, really stoked that they picked me. I think we were 10 of us speakers on the day. And then it was just got a little bit of coaching through them. I, I had friends who are, are speaking pros who coached me a little as well and just said, you know, here's here's what I think you can do. I wrote my entire talk and I really put a lot of effort into it. It's very hard to get something epic into 15 minutes. Like it was probably mm. one of the biggest challenges I've ever had in terms of crafting that story and making it valuable for people. And then uh, turned up on the big day and it was just, oh, it was just such a brilliant experience. But it all came from making an ask and being very intentional and putting it out there. You said, Natalie, that you put this in your painted picture. Is this actually a, a picture that you painted yourself? It's actually, it's up on SlideShare, so it's not literally painted. It is about an 81-page sort of SlideShare presentation that goes through every aspect of my sort of three-year plan, including my team, my business, my travels, my media partners, um, mentoring, health. It's a it's a pretty all-inclusive vision, and uh, it is something that I teach in my Freedom Plan program, and it's been incredible for me like each time I update them and put them out 60% of what I want to come true in the next three years seems to happen in the first 12 months it's really really powerful mm, wow that's cool okay I want to dive into a recent podcast that you recorded and you talk with a friend of both of ours Connie Bisalski Connie really addresses the subject is the freedom that she's chasing really freedom or, or the concept of actually letting go of the idea of chasing freedom. And I thought it was a really interesting podcast and enjoyed it quite a bit. You are the go-to person for helping people find freedom, but you have Connie on the podcast questioning the value of freedom or the direction of chasing freedom. So I'd like to get into your mind about maybe why you had her on the show and the questions you started asking yourself about the idea of chasing freedom. Yeah, um, it was really interesting because I'm a big fan of Tony Robbins, number one sort of personal peak performance coach around the world. And she had just been at his event in December and we had a quick little comment session on Facebook and in it she said, yeah, you know what? I realized that freedom isn't all it's cracked up to be. And I was like, hmm, let's dig into that deeper. So I got her, you know, I just wanted to have an informal conversation with her and sort of feed it into the topic that I was talking about on the podcast. And it is really fascinating because earlier this year, I just felt like I've worked so hard to get all this freedom. And early this year, it was paralyzing. It was literally paralyzing because I had all the freedom in the world to make whatever decision I wanted to do, whatever I wanted to to travel or to stay or to buy a house or to not. And uh, I just found this place where I was like, man, it's tough. When you can make any decision in the world within reason, it's actually really, really difficult. It takes a lot of energy because you have zero constraints. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of what we, what I was going at with the angle for the podcast and then talked to Connie about her findings. And she'd found that in some ways – chasing freedom or, or always putting freedom first had in many ways potentially been debilitating or limiting, which is really fascinating. For people who are out there listening to this, they might be like, what the heck? That sounds ideal. <laughs> but I think, you know, these are the sort of the illuminating thoughts that you have after many years of doing this. And I realized that 
you know, freedom is still my highest value, but in some ways, maybe sometimes that's limited me to committing to things um, specifically to not making or making decisions, but not making them for the long term, for everything always being changeable. Um, and those are beautiful things to work with, but after some time, they can get a little bit boring or they can get a little bit tiring. Um, and this constant sort of striving to always have freedom, I think, almost makes you a bit of a slave to it. So this is the kind of conversation that we had with them that was really enlightening. And just just how setting yourself free from that need for it is actually a really beautiful thing. Um, we delved a little bit into inner freedom versus outer freedom. So to the outside world, both Connie and I are big time digital nomads. We travel a ton. And to a lot of people, we're living the dream. Mm-hmm. And then internally, where were we at? Like, did we have peace of mind did we feel really at peace? And I think a lot of that can come from actually being in one place and your community and your networks and your friends and a deepening sense of relationships there. So it's something I'm digging into further and, and that I'm personally going through on my own quest for freedom this year. And I'm, I'm just, it's just really fascinating to me. What does freedom look like for you now? Uh, that's a great question. So as I mentioned, I'm just, well, just before with you, I just put an offer on a lifestyle property yesterday, which is a mm-hmm. huge, huge change in kind of, I guess, fortune or potential way of living. And it's so odd after living in my suitcase for pretty much seven years, mm-hmm. this would be massive, but I'm so excited. And I think deep down, I've wanted a base for probably the better part of two years. I've been buying properties up around world and in New Zealand and I think that's been a pretty clear sign which most other people have seen but not necessarily me Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it it changes in that it's freedom to just be in one place to ground yourself to as I said build a community to get to know people more to build on the land to grow gardens and sustainably live off the land and plant trees and have dogs and have chickens and just I don't know to me that's like the ultimate freedom is just to have a a beautiful lifestyle property and be surrounded by nature and enjoying your days and you know working and living and playing all in the same space um seems really really exciting to me so I'll I'll see where that that heads as an, an adventure but it's certainly going to be a new chapter you know, I'm in a similar boat because for years and years and years, I've always seen freedom as not having a physical place that I have to go to every single day and not having uh, a physical location that I'm confined to throughout the year. And so my freedom was like yours for many years to be able to go where I want, when I want, and not have to report to a job. I actually quit a job one time because they wouldn't let me go to Mexico for Thanksgiving. And I was just like, no, can't do it. Got to go. So, but, <laughs> but, but now I'm like you, I'm, I can't, Actually, for the past couple of years, I can't stop thinking about having my place, my go-to place. So Barcelona is kind of my city, and I can't stop thinking about getting a flat there and renting it for a year, and then eventually buying a farm on the outskirts of Barcelona, and just yeah. over and over and over, and I think about it all the time, and and. You know, these opportunities come up to where like, oh, do you want to go to Portugal? Oh, do you want to go to Vietnam? Oh, do you want to go to Nepal and hike a mountain? And yes, those sound cool. And part of me is like, I should be doing those things. But at the same time, I'm like, I just want to be in Barcelona and hang out in a flat there and actually sign a lease for a year and enjoy the city. So it's a, it's it's funny that how that transition happens and our, our definitions of freedom change as we grow as people. 
Congrats on that. That sounds fantastic. And it is funny. And I think for people who are just starting out on this journey or just about to go on their world adventure or travels, like hats off to you and go and have an amazing time because you will. And we've got to put it in perspective as well. You and I have been doing this for a lot longer. And and as I said, sort of seven years of being nomadic, living out of a suitcase is is a long time. And I know people um, like Benny Lewis who've been doing it for 12 years. And I'm like, man, how do you do that? And and I just love meeting people who are literally just about to go on this journey that I've been on for that time. And I'm like, you go for it. You've got the energy. You've got the drive. You've got the curiosity. You've got the uh, just that adventurous spirit. And I still have it, but I'm really hankering for what other people have had for a long time, you know, just being able to, to unpack and put your stuff in a wardrobe and to have plants in your home and, and know that you can water them and you're not buggering off again to be in an airport. Um, and then there's this little tinge of, you know, I'm definitely still going to be traveling. It's not like I'm just going to put my suitcase away. That'd be ridiculous. But it, it just feels more like on my own terms and not for the sake of traveling. So little small trips where I want to go, you know, I'm going to Bali this month uh, because it's already March here in New Zealand and I'm running a retreat there and I'm holding my birthday there. And um, I bought a house in Portugal last year and so I want to go back to it. But I'm also really ready to commit and just sort of can the future travel plans after Bali to just be in one place and make it work. Now, you're actually taking a sabbatical from your business this year so you can find some new adventures and dive into some new things. What I am. What are you planning to do with your sabbatical? That's <laughs> the never-ending <laughs> question because I was very, very clear on it in January. I was like, right, I'm going to take um, up to I wasn't I wasn't firm with my timing, but typically a sabbatical is about a year, and I was like, I definitely know I want a full month off on my birthday month, which is April, and then I just want to really pull back from the business and see if it can kind of run without me for a good couple of months or more, maybe six months, maybe nine months, maybe twelve, and then with that, I was literally going to go back to Portugal. Um, I was going to I'm actually training a bit with some of Tony Robbins' events this year. I decided to invest in me, and I just wanted to look at other business opportunities while I was also becoming a student of life. So I want to delve into psychology. I'd like to learn more about dog handling. All this stuff may sound strange. And I also was going to dig deeper into freedom. So I was going to look at spiritual freedom. Um, And I'm looking right now at personal freedom on my podcast. And I wanted to go into financial freedom. So I really wanted to take like a self-led master's this year and just delve into all these things that I've maybe been putting on the back burner or haven't been able to focus on because I've been running this business and putting my all into it. And that is still the intention. So it's really great to repeat it to you. But if this lifestyle property comes off, I'll be doing it more sort of from in one place. The other thing that I realized is that taking a business sabbatical is a lot harder when you've built a business around you. So I've built a personal brand and, and many people have built personal brands, but mine is specifically related to me and how I act and what I do. And all my courses and programs really have come out of experience from that. And I've got a community that stuck with me for years and are fine to follow my adventure. But I think it hurt a little bit in January when I sort of announced, Hey, I'm going on a sabbatical. And I think a few people were like, well, are you buggering off? Are you leaving us? Um, and a bunch of things happened in the business that just saw it kind of dive quite a lot. Um, I removed several revenue streams that were related to me and I was like, huh, maybe this business doesn't run as well without me as I thought. So that's been a really great eye opener. And right now I'm working with my small team to just sort of continue to systemize and, um, and hand things off, but in a way where I'm still still integrated because I actually think I want to be. It's an interesting point, like a big part of my life and my 
identity is this business that I've built and it is built a lot around me and my energy mm-hmm. and if you've probably seen a business energy in energy out so mm-hmm. if you suddenly pull away from something and all that hard work um can often go out the window and that's not what i want so it's a really interesting time you're talking to me because i'm still going on my sabbatical i may be shortening it and i may be changing it up and somebody said to me the other day well freedom is about changing your mind isn't it and i was like absolutely <laughs> and being free to do that so i was like absolutely and i'm not changing it i'm just you know, morphing it and testing it and optimizing it. So we'll see. Now you talked about working on spiritual freedom and even financial freedom. And I'm curious with the freedom that you have with you and your business and your location independence, how do you see a difference between those things? So what would you define the freedom that you have as, and then what would be financial freedom and what would be spiritual or Mm -hmm. mental or emotional freedom? I, I don't know if I have the answers for all of those. For the longest time, as you probably saw in my TED talk, freedom to me was the ability to be able to drop anything at any moment to be with the ones I've loved. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was after losing my dad in sort of late um, 2015 and realizing that not having a job and not having to uh, worry about taking time off to come back to be with him was incredibly freeing. And I was so grateful that I'd built this business that allowed me to just leave it behind for a bit um, and be able to be there instantly. And so freedom still stands that I think it's the ability to do what you want, when you want, with who you want, kind of on your own terms. Mm -hmm. And spiritual freedom, I'm interested in, like that's the next bit for me to delve into. But I always feel everybody has the right to choose what religion or spirituality or thing that they believe in. Um, I'm actually agnostic. So, you know, I was brought up Anglican and I just don't, necessarily believe in any of that anymore but I'm really interested in the philosophy behind Taoism and I'm also interested in delving into Buddhism but I'm also interested to look at the other religions and spiritualities and see which bits of those can I take from them to give me more inner freedom and I really like how people are starting to play with this more now that's like the self-led masters that I talked about I think there's also this thing around you know why don't you create your own form of spirituality where you take from different forms and different aspects that you really like and that appeal to you and resonate with you. Um, And I think that can be applied with everything. Same with financial freedom. I think for me, financial freedom is once again, the ability to be able to probably take, you know, realistically a year off and not have to worry about finances and also to be able to support your family and your closest friends. If they got into a bit of a crisis, you know, be able to loan them money to be able to put them up, but it's not, about earning millions and billions for me it's really just about knowing that I can make a purchase of something that's important whenever I need I can help a friend or a family member out and I could definitely if I wasn't earning or if I decided to take a big lot of time out I could spend a full year doing that pretty easily without having to worry and that's just my benchmark and for other people it's totally different but that sounded good to me because there's a lot to be said for still needing goals and purpose to drive you and I think if you just gave all that up to just go I'm going to live like a hippie and live off the land I don't I don't know if it would be as purposeful there is something that I think money gives you energy I see money as energy not as anything else and Mm -hmm. I think that's a good thing to sometimes be going after and be proactive about so dropping it completely or not worrying about it is not necessarily the end goal. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Natalie, is there anything else, any other wisdom you would like to share with the listeners? Oh, so much wisdom. <laughs> Can't you just see it spurting out of me? Um, I think one of my biggest things that I've, I've seen and witnessed from so many people with talents around the world is this 
inability to just believe in yourself and take action. And so my biggest wish for everybody listening is is to channel your inner Yoda where it's do or do not. There is no try. Like that's been my biggest motto for as long as I remember and probably started watching Star Wars is just take action um, because life is short and I think a lot of us hold ourselves back with stories that aren't serving us anymore and a complete BS. And so just want you to take action on one thing today that you've been putting off doing and make it happen. Amazing tips from Natalie Sisson. Natalie, if the listeners want to reach out to you, where can they find you at? Oh, all over the interwebs. A bit of a social media whore, but um, the best place is uh, Natalie Sisson. <laughs> NatalieSisson.com, where you can find the, the new podcast and some of these updates where we're about what we've been discussing today. And then uh, SuitcaseEntrepreneur.com is, is my main website and blog. Got awesome articles on there as well and some videos and things. So I'm just at Natalie Sisson all over the web, Instagram, Twitter. So just reach out and say hello. Natalie, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all of your story and your tips with us. We really appreciate it. And listeners, we're going to sign off for the day. If you guys want to reach out, you know where you can find us. We'll put the links in the show notes and we'll sign off for this episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high-performance productivity coaching and our five, six, seven, and eight-figure private masterminds. These are all designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to help you scale rapidly and grow. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. And we'll see you all on the next episode.